Welcome back to another episode of Teen It Up with CNB. At you here on another Tuesday. I'm your host, Connor, as always with my co-host, Vladdy. Vladdy, a miscellaneous episode yet again. Yes. Uh, some obscure sports to talk about, not the big four American sports. And then we're going to get into some uh, some lists, which are always fun to make uh, in preparation for the upcoming NFL season that seems to be uh, knocking on the door as we move along through the summer. But um Regardless of that, how have you been since we last talked last podcast? I've been good. Um, kind of had a boring weekend. Uh, yesterday I got back into the soccer lifestyle. Friend texted me, said, "Hey, come play a uh, pickup game. We there's a couple more spots." I said, "Sure, let's go play." It was it was a great time. It was nice to be back out there running around. Kind of messed up my groin at the end, but that's just you know part of getting old, as we would say. But other than so that, full was it? I- I didn't ask earlier. Was it full eleven on eleven? Nine v nine. They have uh, they have an eleven v eleven field split into three, or it might be even bigger. But they have they have three separate fields at OU, and we were just on one of the fields, so it was a good time. Honestly, the field was probably a little bit too big for nine v nine, but yeah, it was a great time. Um, nice to play something a little bit more organized, whereas the the soccer I've played over the last majority of months is just kicking it around with some friends, which isn't really soccer, so. Getting good to get back out there. Um, going to watch Mission Impossible seven tonight, so I'm excited for that. But otherwise, nothing really. Work is work, and life is life. I don't know yourself. How have you been? Yeah, no, work is work, life is life. Um, nothing new. Uh, did have a nice weekend after what was going to be a quiet weekend. Um, I did end up moving into a new house, so I'm out of the parents' roof for the first time in my life. That's been a fun experience the past four days. You're doing um, this from Royal Oak right now? Yeah, I'm in Royal Oak right now shooting this podcast for the first time. Hey, um, look at you You go. don't get to see my background, for those of you that listen, but it's a new one. Um, anyways, my weekend. So I, well, I was just going to go home, honestly, on Saturday and hang out uh, at home because it is it is tough. My, my roommate hasn't moved in yet fully. Um, so I've just been living here alone the last three days, which is a little lonely, even for a not super outgoing, especially during the week person like myself living just completely alone is a little lonesome. And I, I, I give props to people that do it full time. Um, but at like three o'clock, my mom's like, we got an extra ticket to Ed Sheeran tonight. Do you want to go? I was like, Ooh. yeah, why not? So is I that- got to go to Ed Sheeran. It, it was me, my mom two of her cousins and their kids who are all like girls in their um, 18 to 26 range. So around our age-ish. Was that the concert with the surprise? That was the concert with the surprise. I was going to build into it. I'm so I'm, I'm somewhat of an Ed Sheeran casual. He's got so many like just radio songs now that yeah. like I was, I knew like, like 10 to 15 of the, 40 songs he played just because he's got so many radio hits now. And I'm just a casual. I didn't know the good, the big songs. I'm not crazy about his newest album. He didn't play a ton of it because I don't think a lot of other people are fans of it either. Um, but he brought out probably and delivered to Detroit probably one of the greatest gifts an artist can give um, by bringing out Eminem, which was the coolest thing. Um, so he plays like a mashup of all his combined songs with like other people like pretty probably like seven or eight songs into the show he banged he he doesn't do it he didn't do a ton of talking he bangs them out pretty good 
but he played like 40, 45 songs. So he was that's, up there for almost three hours. That's a, um, that's a shift. Yeah. Uh, and then, so he plays like river, like that one with Eminem on yep. Eminem's album. That's one of like four or five mashed up songs he does. And I, I looked over to my cousin and I was like, like Eminem question mark, like kind of half joking. And then probably about an hour later, he, he goes like, I've had the great choice to try of like being like becoming great friends with Eminem. It, it would only be right if I sang this and he starts singing, lose yourself. And then like the part, it gives me chills thinking about it. the part of the state, you see part of the stage go down and he sings for like a good minute or just nothing. And they're like, he can't, he's not actually coming. My cousin's like Eminem. And I was like, I was joking. And then he comes out and he, he does, he does lose yourself the second half of the song and the place went absolutely bananas. Like I'm, t- I've never been in a louder building before. Um, he played that, and then he played Stan, um, and then he hit the road, never to be seen again for till probably like two more years when he comes out for another random person's show. But it was a great moment. I, I as an Ed Sheeran casual, he puts on a great show, one of the better concerts I've seen. Um, what a hectic scene though for those Ford Field because they fill up Ford Field, right? Like all the seats are full. Yep. And then they put another, I don't know, like 5,000 people on the ground, on the floor. Yep. So like, it's like even more crowded than just going to your Lions game as far as parking and walking around the stadium is. It's 15 bucks for a freaking busy tall boy. I had, had to have a couple of those. Um, so all in all, I, it's one of those things where it's such a great show, but it, I keep going back to at what price, like, just how ridiculous like the cost of the stadium is. And it takes an hour to find parking. Um, with that being said, bringing out Eminem made it all worth it. So that was my weekend. Um, we can kind of get into the miscellaneous topics. Sunday was really the only big day. I guess Roy McElroy won the Scottish Open. I'll feed into that later. But uh, Wimbledon, tennis. Uh, 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 tennis happened. Uh, you kind of saw the the changing of the guards is what I'll call it as a super I'll be honest is it how do you say it Alcaraz Carlos Alcaraz yeah yeah I'm as casual as a casual gets for a tennis fan but seems like a bit of a changing of the guard he comes back after kind of getting dominated in the first set point set sets okay and dominated in the first set he, uh, he comes back and beats Novak to Djokovic what did you call him? Novak, the 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 joke. I can't say it. Djokovic. Stutter, Djokovic. Djokovic. I want to say Djokovic. Yeah, it's Djokovic. He's Europeans, man. What is he? Serbian. He is Serbian. The Serbians are crazy. They got the they got some of the best tennis players in the world. The best basketball players. They got, for a cut for a tiny country. They got some athletes out there. Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, so I guess my really only note on it. I didn't watch a ton of it. Um, was no, uh, Novak's comments after, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like basically like all the good parts of me, Rafa and Roger. Like he is like such a good, he's a great player." So my thought was like, everyone's like, "Oh, like it's rare for him to say that. Like he just tr- proves that he's up next, and he's gonna win all these majors, and he's not even gonna have the two other studs right next to him that you know the other two had over the past fifteen to twenty years." Uh, I took that as almost Novak being like. Yeah, I'm so like he's as good as me because I'm amazing. That's the way I, I don't know, but that's the way I took it. 
I I didn't really see it like that. That's just kind of giving giving flowers to the kid. I mean, he's twenty. But isn't he known for not doing that? Not really. Okay, maybe I'm off on that then. I uh, I mean, he's he's hated for other reasons. He is um, hated. He's like he, yeah. Aside, it's even more than the vaccine stuff. I like he he seems to, like when he plays, he he kind of thrives off it during matches from the highlights I've seen. But he's a villain out there. Yeah. Um, completely. You mentioned I was going to get into it. I'll just kind of talk about the what I saw, and it'll I'll, I'll tie that in. But that um that was an that was an amazing final. Um, probably the best Wimbledon final since 2019 with Federer and Djokovic. But even that one might be more of the nostalgia of the two names facing each other as opposed to how good the tennis actually was. I mean, you had the, the number one versus the number two player in the world. A five-hour match, back and forth, periods of dominance from high, from each person, periods of actual tennis where you had to earn what you did, and it wasn't kind of given to you in the sense of mishits and errors and whatnot. You had a plethora of streaks. Novak Djokovic had not lost at center court since 2013, and he had not lost at Wimbledon at all since 2017. He had also <laughs> had a, he also had a streak of 15 straight tie breaks, one at majors which was snapped in the second set. And then, again, the match itself, insane. The first set, where you mentioned he dominated 6-1, was one of the most dominant sets of tennis I think I've ever seen somebody play. I mean, Novak was out there like a computer game. He was just painting lines. There was there was no errors. There was no mishits. There was no keeping Alcaraz in, in, certain, in certain points. It was just... Winner, 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 winner. It was, it was methodical. Now, part of that might have been Alcaraz's kind of, I'm young, I haven't been here before. There's some nerves. You got to quash those. And in the period of it getting to that point, he kind of made it made it a little bit easier for Djokovic to do that. But it was still outrageous. Like that, just that level of tennis was absurd. Um. And then the second set tiebreak, I think, I'm not going to say that's where the match changed because it's set two and it's tied 1-1, so three sets anyway after Alcaraz won. But that's where I believe that Carlos convinced himself that he could do this, where he, he, probably, he, he probably finished the second set and he thought to himself, wait a minute, I just snapped the 15, the 15 straight tiebreak and majors uh, streak. I'm 1-1. I'm play, I can play with him. And from there, he kind of he kind of stepped up to another level. Um, the third set was a six-one romping for Alcaraz. I I don't know how much of that was Djokovic took a hard fall in the second set, and I think he was kind of reeling in the third, just physically trying to get himself back in order. But Carlos was just as dominant in the third set as Novak might have been in the first set. Um, the kind of the highlight of that set was a thirty-minute game, which is outrageous. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and then the next part, which is what, what I think makes Novak so hard to play against, especially later in his career is he, so he leaves the court, um, in between sets, I think you're allowed a five minute, I don't know if it's a medical timeout or a bathroom timeout, but he goes, he goes in if, if he needs to, and he just sits in front of a mirror and starts talking to himself and regroups, refocuses, gets another playbook of how to attack his opponent. And that's one of the things that's absurd about Novak is to beat him, you got to beat him twice. Because first you have to get him to the point where he's questioning everything and then he walks off the, the court. You have to get him to there. 
and then you have to beat the leveled up version that comes back out. And that's mm-hmm. what was outrageous was, I mean, he came back out, he beats Carlos in the fourth set, which it was, I think it was what, 6-4 or 6-3. I think it was 6-3 with two breaks. Pretty dominant set, same thing. To, to break your opponent twice in the same set, that's that's impressive. S- send him to a fifth set. Um, incredible tennis was played in the fifth set. A lot of winners, not a lot of errors. Carlos kind of, again, with the confidence of saying, I belong, starts playing his drop shot, which is nasty. He's playing the, the speed winners, the power. Novak is playing defense. He starts to hit winners because he realizes, wait, I can't just defend against this guy. I have to attack a little bit. It was it was great tennis. Uh, Carlos kind of, I mean, like you say, I don't want to fully say takes the, the, the torch yet because, I mean, Novak physically – beat him in France a month and a half ago. They are certainly on a collision course to face each other in the U.S. Open. I think the winner of that will be the world number one going into kind of the end of the season. So I, I don't want to write off Djokovic yet, but you certainly kind of had the uh, the moment where it became very, very apparent that he is the future of tennis. Not that it wasn't already known. I mean, like you said, everyone is kind of fluffed his cap you are the best of the, the previous three you you are going to be the flag bearer but to see him actually knock off Djokovic that kind of cements himself as the next man up and I, I don't want to say he's taken the torch yet Novak is still right there with him Novak would probably still be world number one even after losing that tournament had he been allowed to play the U.S. Open last year and a bunch of the U.S. tournaments last year so there there's I think there's still some more to go for him Again, he's 20. Of course, there's more to go, but sensational final. And it, it's great for the sport to actually have someone be able to challenge Novak because had he, let's say, had he, let's say he wins the second set tie break and maybe he maybe beats him in straight sets or beats him in four sets and kind of goes into New York looking for the calendar slam. I think it would have been a little bit more just like monotonous. Oh, here comes Novak again, coming to win 25, coming to win 26. But this, I think this brings some more intrigue to the sport. So. It's very, it was very fun to watch. Look forward to the U.S. Open. Yeah, an interesting hypothetical I wanted to throw before we move on is that I heard someone else talking about for Alcaraz is if he is the next Novak and he is just as talented, if not more, like people say, is he going to break the record because he doesn't have the, the two-headed horse of players that are also all-time greats in his kind of age range? Um. That's or is so, it just I, such a? I think so it's early. so far away that you can't you can't even yeah. bring up that. I mean, again, Djokovic is at twenty three titles right now. He's got twenty one more than Carlos does, and I don't think Novak's done yet. I think he I think he gets to twenty five by the time his career ends. Whether yeah. that be another Wimbledon, another hard court, he's he's historically great on the hard courts. So, and, and that also implies that Alcaraz doesn't get hurt doesn't there there's so much that can right. go wrong for to, to really put that in perspective 21 major difference between him and novak that's five years of winning every single one and you can't do yeah. that it, it doesn't matter how good you are you're gonna have a bad day someone else will have a good day and they'll beat you you can't win every single one so he's he's got a, he's got a lot to go it, i'm not i don't even want to bring it up because he gets 20 can't Right. He can't he can't he can't buy alcohol in New York. If if he wins the U.S. Open, he can't celebrate. It's true. Uh, so moving on to another uh, rich white people sport, golf. <laughs> uh, the fourth 
the fourth and final major. This is what we talk about, Carl. Um, the one that doesn't get talked about because it's not on U.S. soil, quite frankly. Yep. Um, so it's going to be uh, British Open, the 151st version. It's called the Open, sir. Uh, don't don't misgender it here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the Open uh, at Royal Liverpool, uh, also known about also known as Hoy Lake, which is the neighborhood it's surrounding it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the first time playing. There since 2014, when Roy McIlroy won his last major. Um, the time before that was 2006. Tiger Woods won that, so it has a history of playing um, to the superstars' talent, I guess you could say. Uh, Rory won eight, 18 under, and Tiger won with 17 under. So it's going to be a birdie fest. This it's going to be around 20 under probably for the winner. Um, it's your typical link style course. If you keep the ball in play, and if, if the winds hold up. It's going to be a very good chance for ball strikers to get a lot of birdies. Um, I've heard there's two completely new holes to the course um, that were built just for this tournament. Um, one's in, like going to be a weird part four that's going to be quote unquote impossible. And then the other is this gimmicky 120 to 150 yard part three um, that they built just for this. Uh, as far as betting favorites, it's Roy McIlroy. He's coming off a win in the Scottish Open. He's won here. He's played amazing golf the last month since the merger. It seems like, well, much of the golf world is stressed over what this merger is going to mean. It seems like it took a weight off his shoulders and he doesn't have to play Captain P PGA. He realizes his spot in the golf world and he can just go out there and play golf. He's my pick for the weekend. Um, I do worry that it's just going to be too many storylines mixing into one. Um, his last major is there. It'll be 10 years since he's won. If he doesn't, um, or going out in 10 years, uh, that he's coming off a win. He's played great. Uh, he loves, he wins a lot in Europe in general that like, I'm worried that that's going to be too many storylines, but I think it's the right mix for him to win. And he pieces it together. Uh, second is Scotty Scheffler. He has not finished worse than top five in a tournament since February. Uh, he's simply been the best player in the world even if he hasn't won however it's now been it'll now be almost a year and a half since his last major uh that being his only major in the masters in 2022 um another guy where putting is rewarded on these link style courses if you can put it close so it'd be interesting to see uh with the putting struggles he's had how he does um other guys of note are cameron smith the defending champion big putter uh, those guys typically do well on these link style courses um, with these link style greens. Uh, I also like a British guy called Terrell Hatton. I know I, I said that for the, uh, what was the last one? The U S open and he did terrible. I like him again. He's coming off at T six in the Scottish open. I, I just love Europeans for some reason. I love putting Europeans in the, the open finals just because they they played more link style golf, whatever. I guess that's not really true when the amount of golf these guys play. Um, but a ball striker's course and keep the ball in the fairway, and there's going to be a lot of birdie chances. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Europeans. I think it, for them it's kind of – we've said in the past that this is their tournament. This is the one that means so much to them because this is the one where they grew up visiting or whatever it might be. So they're always going to have a strong showing. I also have Rory as, Rory as my pick. I hate to say it. I cannot stand him. But he's been so close for so long that I think that one of those law of averages where it's got to happen eventually, you got to win another one just because it has to happen. And I think this is going to be the one where he kind of comes through. 
Um, you mentioned Cam Smith and kind of the, the putter, and that's kind of what won in the tournament last year was just completely unfazed, sinking putt after putt, and kind of just fending off Rory at the end, which was a lot of fun last year. But I, I'm going to go with Rory. I don't, I, I don't really have too much else to say. Um, it'll be an interesting watch. It'll be cool that because it's a European uh, – tournament and let's say not in LA they're not going to be they're not going to be playing golf until 10 p.m eastern time mm-hmm. it'll be nice you show up at work at eight in the morning and half the field golf. is already teed off you can watch yeah. you can watch and it can kind of get you through the morning of work that is true I have definitely had that thought my hot take before we move on to the next topic is Brooks Kepka struggles to make the cut this week Ooh, I'll support it I think he's cooled off a little. It seems like he's done a lot of partying since the PGA Championships. He hasn't necessarily fared too well at Open Championships, so it's just my hot take of the week. I don't see him being in contention. With that being said, you can never count out that man also. So. That's true. He is He is a machine. Uh, our last topic of the day should take us the majority of our time here. Uh, a preview. We're going to kind of over the next couple of weeks slowly, just because we love football, uh, start previewing topics as we get closer to not only college, but the NFL season. Today, we're going to do our preseason rankings, not teams this year. We'll do that closer to the um, actual season. Yep. Um, but today we're going to do positions. We're going to stick with offense. We might do defense in a later episode if it interests the people. If it does, let us know personally, online, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we're going to do a top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 wide receivers, top 10 uh, running backs, top 10 tight ends, and top 10 offensive lines as a unit. Or top five. I only have five. I have five as well, so that's perfect. Okay, where do you want to start? QB, most important position. QB. I think there's a consensus number one at this position. So, oh, actually, that was my thing is, do we want to go top to bottom? I think that makes it a little bit better than going from bottom to top. I think quarterback we should do one through ten, and I think the rest of them we should do ten through one. I like that. A little, I, I'll support it. I'm in. All right. So, although I think wide receiver is a consensus one too. Honestly, I think the wide receivers are kind of set one through six, but we'll get there when we get there. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Uh, Number one consensus, you saw him on Netflix and made me like him even more. He's an absolute dog. He's a winner on top of a superstar, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I I don't think there there needs to be much that's said about that. We talked about it right after the Super Bowl where he's going to enter that prime LeBron phase of he has to outdo himself every single year to get his own flowers, even though – just just being averaged by Patrick Mahomes standards is better than everyone else. So yep. number one, Patrick Mahomes, it's not particularly close. And let's go on to number two. I think number two and three is how you rank a quarterback. Um, I did it on who I want on my team when the game's on the line. Uh, who's the guy that I want with the football in his hands, calling the plays, leading the offense. And that's what differentiated two and three for me. Uh, so I have Joe Burrow at two. I have Joe Burrow as well. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned it. He's he's an absolute dog. I, I want to sit here and call him the proven winner, but part of me wants to say that until he gets the Super Bowl, I can't. But at the yep. same time, I can. National champion. I think the, the Bengals won the division last year, right? They yep. won their division yep. last year. I mean, yep. 
he's made a Super Bowl. He's he's been to the big games. He's beaten the other quarterbacks in games that matter. So I mean, he is. That's a what I was going to say. He's the only proven guy that has Mahomes' number. Yep. Um, beat beat the next guy in yeah. the, the next guy's home. And while he's not physically as gifted as the next guy, he plays a much cleaner game at the position. And that's kind of where you factor in who do you want when the game's on the line to not to kind of run you down the field. So, yeah, Joe Burrow's number two um, into number three, Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, I think he's right up there with the with the now uh, rookie Anthony Richardson is the most physically gifted quarterback in, in football. Um, but he does play the position, uh, at a kind of, kind of sloppy rate. Um, he had 14 interceptions and eight fumbles last year. Um, that's, that's not good. Um, he kind of needs to have a cleaner year now, now that Brian Dable is gone and is coaching in uh, New York. Um, I don't know. It, it's tough because. I kind of sound like I'm sitting here dogging him, but it's just because the gap between him and the next guy, in my opinion, is so high that I might as well pick criteria that can kind of catch him up to Joe Burrow as opposed to bringing him back down towards the rest of the field, in my opinion. Yeah, he just has yet to win a big game to where he's kind of stuck in this middle ground. For me, I say middle ground. He's the third best quarterback in the league, but he's stuck in this middle ground because you haven't proven anything when it matters most. He has yet to win that big game. Um, neither has my fourth guy at all, really. And I think he's kind of a – you could question if he should be fourth because of how little even opportunities had to win a big game, and that's Justin Herbert. Ooh, I went with Jalen Hurts. J- I have Jalen Hurts at five. Yeah. I, I, my, I think – I differentiated think... is Jalen Hurts has the Eagles. Okay, but you act like Justin Herbert got drafted to the Texans. No, no, no. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jalen Hurts has the Eagles. Not that Justin Herbert's in a bad situation. I'm saying Jalen Hurts could not be in a better situation. That's, he's yeah. got the best D line in football, the best O line in football. He throws to two All Stars, Pro Bowl receivers. He's got a Pro Bowl running back. He's got one of the best offensive lines in the history of the game. Yeah, he's got a Kelsey brother handing him the ball every play. There's again, there's certainly truth with the way I looked at it. Is he's a guy who's been doubted at absolutely every level of his career. Um, myself has been included in that. Yet every single time he's proved people wrong, he's made strides as a passer the last two years. He's not. It's not the same Philadelphia offense where teams knew when Jalen Hurts was rookie, second year guy, where it's oh they're running a dumbed down offense because he can't or he doesn't right. he can't throw in a more sophisticated one. They've moved past that. Yeah, you have the Pro Bowl receivers. He still makes the great plays. He's kind of evolved. He's got the running athleticism that I do consider as part of being a quarterback these days. You have to be mobile. He is mobile. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. There, there certainly is a fact of, I mean, A.J. Brown coming in is always going to help out, but you show me a quarterback who doesn't have a good weapon with it. You you can't find one. That's just what that's what the sport is these days. So yep. I I have him four, but I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like this is some top three set in stone. I can certainly I can certainly agree to disagree. Like if if let's say so who's your fifth? My fifth is Trevor Lawrence. Okay. I, I gave, go ahead. I was gonna say I gave him the nod over Justin Herbert because of the playoff game they had. 
where Justin Herbert decided to blow a 28-0 lead. Uh, Fun fact, I was at that game. Great time. Um, But he took a massive, massive step in year two with Doug Peterson as opposed to having Urban Meyer, which crazy what happens when you have a better coach and a more mature coach and a NFL coach and all the things that one can set can say when comparing Doug Peterson and Urban Meyer at the NFL level. Um, I think he's also poised to take another step forward, getting Calvin Ridley, having a, another year of an improved offensive line and just kind of another year of growth. They, I mean, they secured Evan Ingram long-term. So I think Trevor Lawrence is kind of going to be one of those guys with a, uh, he'll be, he'll be in the top five lists for years to come. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I did my list a little more on like, what I've seen, you got to prove it to move up okay. the list. So that's why I have Hurts at five. My number six is Aaron Rodgers. I still think he's a top 10 quarterback in this league. I think last year was just a fluke year. Um, he's one in that, that the way I graded and that it's, it's have you done it, prove it to prove it to me if you haven't. He could work the opposite way in this type of, in how I did this and that you can move down based off him just being, washed and not being able to do it anymore um can i ask a question then yeah what is the number four quarterback on your list ever proven to you well what's he done i said he was controversial because he hasn't to me i think the physical tools of justin herbert the arm the he's mobile i would just rather him i trust there's still that bit of me that's the the jalen hurts doubter that everyone else is despite the fact that he's a proven player and i just love the I just, frankly, am just a sucker for just like big pocket passing, big oh. arm quarterbacks yeah. that haven't proven themselves. <laughs> Fair. Um, my number six is Justin Herbert. Um, he kind of reminds me of like the, the early 2010s Matthew Stafford, where everybody will make all of the excuses in the world for him. Mm. I mean, he's got the flashy arm, some ability to move and extend plays. Everybody loves him and loves to make these excuses. I mean, unlike Matthew Stafford, he got adopted into an offense with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry at the time. They've got a good offensive line. He has a good defense with a Bosa brother, Derwin James, Khalil Mack now. I I mean, I – and then again, had he beaten the Jags, I probably would put him ahead of Trevor Lawrence, but you can't blow a 28 nothing lead. I, you can't do that. Um, you want to say that the head coach is an idiot and calls some stupid stuff? Sure. Don't blow a twenty-eight nothing lead. I don't. I don't know what to say. Um, I don't think that that's a. I get. I, I. I think that that's to me what I see. I. I think Justin. I. I say. Oh, I'm about to say the word overrated. That doesn't mean he's bad. It's just people talk about Justin Herbert like some fringe top three QB in football, and he's not. Number seven, I have Trevor Lawrence. I think uh, he's a, he. You're right. He went from probably a guy that wouldn't have even cracked my top 20 last year to now a top 10 quarterback. And it was a guy that's scaling up on my list of prove it to me. I think he does that again this year. I think in a bad division, the, the Jaguars are probably going to win that division. We'll get into our predictions in a couple of weeks. Um, and we see him in the playoffs yet again with another chance to prove himself. Yeah. My number seven is Aaron Rodgers. And you mentioned it had a down year. But he is Aaron Rodgers, so I'm not going to sit here and maybe bring him as far down the list as other people might. Um, 
And to be honest, there's also really no one else I can put ahead of him. Or I was going to say the list gets the list got hard for me after the, the the quarterback position is really down in the dumps as there's a transformational period as the the veterans have now kind of left us and the young guys we still need a little bit more of the young guys as they're sitting on rookie contracts. Yeah. Um, but he he really does need a bounce back year or else it'll get very ugly in New York. Um, New York is not Green Bay. You cannot hide when there's a bad when there's a bad season, they're not going to make excuses for you because you won them one Super Bowl. There's got to be some action from Aaron Rodgers this year. Uh, number eight, I have Lamar Jackson. Same here. I think he's still a dynamic talent. He just, again, another guy that has not won the big game, and he's had a lot of opportunities to do so. And he's now, unfortunately, I hate to put this out there, but he's now become injury prone the last two seasons. Um, with his style of play was expected and it's only going to hurt his so so and so spot on this list yeah I mean what I had written down for Lamar is kind of funny it's for me Lamar Jackson was the start of who can I put here and then how can I tear down their candidacy mm-hmm. that, that 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 that's what eight nine and ten were for me um but yeah I'll, I'll take his his dual threat ability um the Ravens finally fully invested in his wide receiving core and his just playmaking is just his help. I mean, he was throwing to Hollywood Brown and my mom and dad for the first couple of years. Obviously, there's Mark Andrews there. They draft Zay Flowers in the first round, sign Odell, or what's left of Odell Beckham Jr. I guess we'll see what happens there. But you still have Mark Andrews. There's Rashad Bateman. There, There's some players there. And Lamar is obviously they did give him the long-term contract, but he is kind of entering that period where it's, you got to show me what you can do, or it might be a, uh, an early exit from Baltimore for you. In a tough division, tough, tough place to play. Very, very, very much so. Um, uh, number nine, I have Dak Prescott. I mean, again, I, I'm not going to sit here and become like any of these are like a guarantee. Um, you want to go into the reasoning there? Or? My reasoning is, is, when health, another guy, when healthy, has been a top 10 quarterback in the league. I mean, he's been given weapons around him. He's a cowboy. Jerry Jones is always going to spend that. He's been a consistent franchise quarterback on a consistent, albeit fringe, playoff team the, over the, his tenure with the Cowboys. That I think it's it's enough. It's another guy like Lamar where I think when healthy, he can he pushes. It's To me, it's like who can push that list when they're on that top seven list? And I think Lamar and Dak, as far as a talent perspective, do that the most of any of the, the next guys I'm going to read. Um, number nine for me, Jared Goff. Ooh, so okay. I, my, my thought process is he is not on taken, my list. I mean, I, I again, I'm not going to sit here and defend this with a gun to my head. I'm, <laughs> I know there's there's flaws with every single guy from here on out, but I think he's taken full command of this Lions team. You want to say it's a safe style of offense? Sure, but he doesn't turn the ball over. He is, I mean, you were talking about guys you want running down the field at the end of a game trying to not make a mistake. I don't think he had a turnover the last 10 or the last nine games of the season. I mean, yes, he, he, he'll he get flustered a little bit if you hit him once and the, the next play might get some happy feet, but the, the mistakes have been cut down. He gets, he gets Jameson Williams after six games um there's sam laporta granted that's i don't understand why you trade away hawkinson to draft a guy who you hope can be hawkinson 
but <laughs> it, it is what it is. I just think that the way he plays with like a, the way he plays the clean, the clean offense, that, that, that's kind of what put him on the list for me. You did a good job selling it. I still think he, there's that like Jared Goff where it's, it's a system guy. And I guess you could say my 10th pick is going to be a guy who in a good system is a good guy that you can win some football games with, but if not, he's not going to win you games. And that's where I stand on golf. And that's kind of, I guess where I stand on a much on a, on a more milder um, perspective on my number 10. And that's Kirk cousins of the Vikings. Ooh, I hit Kirk cousins as well. It's a good list right here, man. Great minds think alike. Yeah. I think like once you start getting into names, like, Stafford's an interesting one because he didn't play last year. Um, I don't trust Derek Carr after such a poor year last year. Jimmy Garoppolo also didn't play last year. And then you start getting into the really young guys that haven't really proven anything. And then you get into teams without franchise quarterbacks. Yeah. My my thought process was, I mean, once we left, let's say Aaron Rodgers and I guess maybe Lamar barring the injuries is a, a, an actual game changer, but I think we did with nine and 10 hit the game manager rule. Now, had yeah. we made this list three years ago, two guys, Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson would have been on this list. And there are guys who I think are poised to have bounce back years. Yep. Um, Deshaun, after spending a year and a half, two years away from football, gets gets his seven-game run of, hey, knock the rust off and come back the year after fully ready to go. We'll see what you can do. We'll see if this contract was really worth it or if you scammed us. And then Russell, Russell Wilson, um, he has a real head coach, none of this Nathaniel Hackett who, who doesn't know what a timeout is. Um, I, I think both of those guys are kind of poised to have bounce back years and maybe reclaim their position on this list how, as they would have been a couple of years ago. Um but yeah, I had Kirk Cousins as well. Um, he's kind of had a – he's actually quietly put together decent seasons the last couple of years in Minnesota. I know Justin Jefferson's there, but as I said earlier, you cannot show me a good quarterback without a weapon. That's just that, – that is not the sport anymore. Can't go handing it off to Terrell Davis 30 times a game and expect it to work. If we were at nine of the ten, same names on the yeah, list. Yeah, off and down. I, I think that's going to go down. With running backs especially, but we'll see how we do first with wide receivers. Are we start? Are um, we on wide receivers first? We're gonna start with ten for wide receivers. All right. At number ten, I have DK Metcalf. Ooh. I think he's a guy talent wise, as it could easily be with any of these top five names I'm about to read off, but it hasn't had necessarily the. Uh, I want to say weapons around him, even though he did have Russell Wilson at the beginning of his career and Geno Smith was fine last year, but they have never had a viable, and I'm not going to shit on Tyler Lockett too much, but they've never had a viable second option for him really to not ever be double covered. So I have, I have one counter that first of all, Tyler Lockett is a fantastic second option who I'm pretty sure outproduces DK Metcalf. Um, Obviously, Tyler Lockett is kind of your smaller guy, and DK Metcalf is always going to be the number one due to size. But I'm I, I will not allow Tyler Lockett slander. Um, the other thing I will say that I think contributes to DK Metcalf's lack lack of productivity and maybe lack of like you say lack of being higher up on the list due to talent level is just the way Seattle runs their offense. Pete yeah. Carroll loves handing the ball off to whoever is behind the quarterback twenty five times a game and that just doesn't leave a high like a high percentage of snaps and targets to DK to kind of showcase what he is. So 
I, I think I agree with you on the premise, but I can't put someone on this list due to premise. So I kind of want to live it more of the production route. For me, number 10, I'm in Ross St. Brown. Wow, not on my list. So I think he's an absolutely fantastic route runner. He's always seems to be open. I mean, you take away his first 10 games of his rookie year where the Lions look like an XFL team, and he's on a historic run that is, I mean, nearing the Cooper Cup levels with well, from, a, from a year and a half ago. Um, he plays much bigger than he is. He runs through contact. Now, unfortunately, because he's a little dude, that usually leads to him getting banged up, but he plays through it anyway. I, I think I think he's sensational. I, I was... I was a little skeptical on him at the start of last season just because I thought, you know what, he w- he had a great end of his rookie year, but there were no other receivers. It was Khalif Raymond, Tom Kennedy. You you got a couple snaps, if I remember correctly, the, at, the end of that 20, yeah, at the end of that 2021 season. So I, I, I thought to myself that maybe that was just him capitalizing on the lack of weapons around him and the lack of a stable offense. But as you saw last year, the, the – the Lions progressed as a team, and he stayed the same. He was, I think, sixth in the league in receptions and tenth in receiving yards. I, I just think he's a sensational guy given the lack of physical tools. Uh, number nine, I have C.D. Lamb. I think uh, physically undersized but still physically gifted guy who is still, I think, growing. This will be year three, um, and I think – you know, the situation keeps getting better and better. I for think he's him in year, year four. Year, I don't want to, I, I don't mean to cut okay. you off. I think he was a 2020 draft, but. Okay. You're, yeah, that sounds right that he was a COVID guy. Cause I remember him on the couch with the girlfriend cell phone thing. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he's got some white teeth. Um, I think that again, the situation for him gets better and better in Dallas and you've seen him kind of get better and better production wise every year. And I also had CD lamb at number nine. Um, the thing that kind of sold him for me was how he performed this past season without Amari Cooper being opposite him. Right. I mean, you, we've seen in the past wide receivers will fail the test of, oh, you can put up great, great numbers when you are the number two and defenses are not game planning to stop you, i.e. Juju Smith-Schuster in Pittsburgh. And then it turns into what can you do for me when you are the focal point? And he had his best year ever as a focal point. And that's with some uncertainty quarterback with Cooper rush playing some time as opposed to Dak Prescott. So yeah, I think, I think CD lamb's fantastic. Yeah. So I see you've kind of stepped away real quick. I'll, uh, I'll kind of carry it into number eight. Can you still hear me or no? Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> okay. That, that actually, I, that answered, I was going to say, can you hear me or not? So my number eight is Jalen Waddle. Um, an absolute speed demon who forms the best one-two punch in football for me. Mm-hmm. I think he's, besides the fact that he has that game-breaking speed, good route runner, great hands, and again, it's it's tough to kind of catch the track star. He, I have Jalen Waddle at number eight. Uh, Jalen Waddle is my number eleven. I just kept him off the list. Um, my number eight is another speed demon who plays technically multiple positions, and that's Debo Samuel. I think if he was in uh, – he's obviously used in a special role in San Francisco and had a bit of a down year this past year after a breakout year the year before. I think you would see him – I don't want to say, like, he's not used to his fullest potential in San Francisco because they're just 
like the way they run that offense is so scheme oriented, but like, you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm, I'm having a hard time describing no, I do. but I think, he, I think he would be a super, superstar name as opposed to just like Debo Samuel's a great piece in the 49ers offense. Yeah, I, I think the 49ers offense is kind of geared with a lot of gadget type players, and that's where you kind of see him operating out of the backfield at times or running right. those weird reverses. But I, I think I think you are correct. I do think that he could be a sensational guy if he played a more traditional wide receiver type role, but that's just not Kyle Shanahan. So I had right. I had Debo Samuel off my list. He was kind of pushing for that top spot, um, or for that last spot at ten, but I left him off. Did you say your number seven? I have not. I was I was going to give it to you. You can go first. Oh, uh, my number seven is A.J. Brown. As far as a body, he might have the best body of any wide receiver on this list. Even D.K. Metcalf, that dude's arms are the size of my head. Um, he could go up for balls. He's fast. He's probably the greatest overall freak athlete, I think, on this list, personally, in my opinion. I also had A.J. Brown at seven. Um, I think, like you, and you mentioned, He's an absolute brute in the passing game. I mean, he bullies yeah. he bullies opposing corners. Granted, it's hard for opposing corners to play defense anymore without getting flagged, but I digress. Um, I, I think A.J. Brown is fantastic. I mean, you saw him completely unlock Jalen Hurts and kind of that Philadelphia offense, leading them to kind of be that juggernaut. Obviously, there's many parts to that, but I, I think he's sensational. You mentioned he's kind of that complete prototypical wide receiver body six i have stefan diggs um leaving his prime a little bit i think he's one of the older names on this list but he, what he's done over the past five seasons is special he's just like for me he's just mr consistent is like he's not a guy you ever really notice is wowing you athletically but he just seems to make play after play and he just like is always there every year in and year out uh number six on my list stefan diggs um Fantastic receiver. He did have a disappointing end to last season. It kind of flowed into some offseason issues where he voiced issues or where he voiced concerns with his role in the offense. And you know what? I'm not going to sit here and judge whether that's warranted or not warranted. We know that the, there's the diva of wide receivers type that's kind of evolving these days. I'm not here to judge that. I'm here to judge Stephon Diggs, the wide receiver, and Stephon Diggs, the wide receiver, is sensational. Uh, he's my number six receiver in football. Uh, number five, Cooper Cup, a name that you probably would have had a lot higher at the end of last year. The injury killed it. Still the best route runner in the NFL, probably still going to have Sean McVay. Great player still. Number five, Cooper Cup, um, for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, you factor in the injury. That's what dropped him on my list. I mean, if you take away that injury, that is – I mean, he's on an – all-time run. I mean, he technically broke Calvin Johnson's record, albeit with extra games. Um, best route runner in football. And the other thing that I believe kind of really helps him is, on top of being a sensational route runner, he's so smart. Like, I mean, you yeah. want place. Sometimes he just stops his route. He might be in the middle of a cut, and he realizes, wait a minute, this is a zone, and they're just sitting there leaving me expecting something else, and he just stops, stand still, and Stafford will find him. Um I think the combination of the route running ability with the football brains that Cooper Cup has makes him unguardable. Number four, Devontae Adams, a guy who probably two years ago is the number one name on this list. Um, unfortunately, when him and Rodgers were together, I don't think there's ever been quite a duo like that, in my opinion. The way they just found each other, both being so, so the best at their position, both of them. 
Um, he's still a very good receiver. He's just slightly behind as far as like he's just a little older now and is probably in the worst situation as far as the next uh, three names go. And that's why I have him at four. Number four, I had Jamar Chase. Um, I think he's right up there with uh, Justin Jefferson as kind of the leaders of the next generation of receivers. That There's no question about that. Um, fantastic receiver who's kind of one of the, the, the great prospects to come out of college in a long time, which included him skipping his COVID season. Like that, that doesn't really happen very often. And the the thing that I always love about Jamar Chase is kind of the neighbor story where he goes door to door in Joe Burrow's neighborhood asking people if they'd be willing to sell them or sell their house yeah. so he can be closer to him. I think that's really funny. Uh, great bond. And like you say, a great situation where they can dominate for a decade together. Right. He's my number three. Yeah, I have Devontae Adams at three. Um, okay. the, the reason I gave Adams the edge over Jamar Chase was last year was colossal for Devontae Adams for me because it showed him I can still do it as even as I get older. And I don't need Aaron Rodgers to be productive. Devontae Adams led the NFL in receiving touchdowns. He was third in the NFL in receiving yards. He was top 10 in receptions. And you mentioned situation that was with. Derek Carr, who got basically run out of the team at the end of the season. I don't even know who was starting in QB at that point. But I think Devontae Adams and his ability to kind of showcase, I can do this as I get older. I can do this without Aaron Rodgers. You mentioned they might be the greatest one-two punch of our generation, maybe of all time, the way they played together. But uh, that's why I gave him the nod at three. Uh, so I think we're going to have the same one-two, maybe? Number two, I number two, I have Tyree Kill. Yep. Uh, he is the most pure speed freak that we've ever seen in this league. He continued to do it last year without Mahomes. Um, just the bet, like the most rarest skill set of even any guy on this list. And yeah. So he's number two. I see. I didn't even necessarily call him number two. I called him 1B. I think that him and Justin Jefferson are so close and so inseparable that I just call them They're 1A, different. 1B. They're, they play different yeah, games. Exactly. I, I, and that's actually why I gave Jefferson the nod up, up in a second. But Tyreek Hill, game-breaking speed. I do think the one thing that's nice with Tua is Tua's football instincts and ability to throw players open meshes perfectly with Tyreek Hill's ability to run. Because you you catch a ball in stride, you're gone. Uh, granted, when Mahomes used to do it, it was 70 yards down the field because he had a cannon. And now you've got... Tyreek Hill, who or now you've got him with Tua, and sorry, well, um, I I kind of lost track. Um, so we had uh Tyreek Hill, the combination of Patrick Mahomes going over the top versus Tua feeding him in stride with with less arm talent and a smaller kind of with a again, smaller arm talent being able to. So just throw open on a shorter route. Um, that kind of leaves that that leaves Justin Jefferson at number one. And with Justin Jefferson, it's it's sensational. I mean, you see some of the catches, the the one handed grab against Buffalo last year, as they're kind of the clocks marching down the field, uh, or the clocks marching down the field. Clock doesn't march down the field. Pardon my stroke. Clock's running down there. They and then Jefferson has this sensational catch where he basically from a standstill goes up over the safety. One hand brings it down. I think that 
the pure receiving skills, the hands, the route running, the combination. I mean, he's no Tyree kill with athletics. We know that. But that's why I give him the edges because even without the game-breaking speed, even without the ability to run away from anybody, he still is him. So that's kind of my that's kind of my kind of close down of the top ten. Uh, like I said, Tyree Kill one B, Justin Jefferson one. Uh, kind of some thoughts on that. I know we kind of we, we share the same top two. Yeah, I think Je- Jefferson got one for me because he's just kind of. When you think of a receiver that can do it all, all you think of Justin Jefferson a little more. Not necessarily because any either of them wow you anymore between the two, but like Jefferson just completes the the circle, I guess you could say, of what makes a wide receiver a wide receiver. Uh, sorry for the break, everyone. My laptop died. It did not. My my charger did not make it in the move. I guess I'm gonna have to go back home and grab it. Um, so we'll move on to the running backs again. That one we had. Eight out, uh, uh, Mecca, and uh, Diva. We had eight out of the same time there. Yep. So running backs are starting from 10, 10 up, right? Yeah. So running backs for me, there's a huge gap after seven. I'm interested to see. I, I think this is where we might get a little, uh, a little, a little, a little whack. So I'll start with number 10, uh, Kenny Walker. Okay, not on my list. Oh. Interesting move considering he might be a backup running back. By the He's year. not going to be a backup running back. They drafted Charbonnet to catch passes. Do you know that for a fact? No, I don't have a direct line to Pete Carroll, but I do know that Pete Carroll likes running the ball, so I believe that this is just a way to maybe extend Kenny Walker's life of, hey, we're not going to run you into the ground with 25 to 30 touches a game. We'll give you 17 to 20 touches a game. We'll give the other ones to Charbonnet. He can also operate as that third down back, and by doing that, we extend both of your lifetimes. But that's that, That's different. That's another time. I just think Kenny Walker, for me, pure runner started slow last year playing behind Rashad Penny but as soon as he went down it kind of became the Kenny Heisman show that like he showed us the year before um, I'm always gonna have a soft spot for him for that 2021 yeah. season Michigan State that that was some of the even though we didn't end up in the playoff and Michigan State has done it before that's some of the, the most entertaining football I've ever watched maybe part of that was because I was still on campus as a student but Kenny Walker for me I, I also think he might be the shiftiest player in football. I, I mean, I, you watch him play, and it almost seems like it's illegal for him to get tackled for a loss. He always falls forward, and he always gets out of a man who's got his hands on him in the backfield. It's absurd. Uh, my number 10 is Najee Harris, uh, one of the better running back prospects in the league. I think he uh, is not on a lot of people's list because he plays behind a bad offensive line in a bad offense. And if that were not the case, he's arguably just as talented as anyone in this top five. And I'm about to read off. Okay. Number nine, I have Aaron Jones. Okay. Now, also not, not on my list. Oh, wow. Number nine, I have Alvin Kamara. Fair enough. Don't forget um, about him. If he doesn't go to jail this year, he'll, he'll, be, in, he'll be a top 10 fantasy running back again. Yeah, I mean – what that's a great way to start the sentence if he doesn't go to jail this year i mean they're what's 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 cool is they're kind of similar types of players um beast dual threat guys explosiveness play kind of just play a pure running back style good Um, pass catchers yeah 
again, I, 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 I put Aaron Jones over Kamara. Um, I just think that his kind of continued, I don't want to call it peak because maybe Kamara's or Kamara's peak was better than Jones peak, but I, I consider the continued plateau of just Jones staying up for multiple seasons now, whereas I do think Kamara started slow, had a couple of good years and then slowed down last year. Um, I, I, I take Jones's consistency. Number eight, I have Brees Hall. Oh, wow. We really do have some different lists. And that was a last-second change because I did have Josh Jacobs, and then I took him out just now for Brees Hall. You took Jacobs out of your top ten completely? Well, more I wanted Brees Hall in it, and I was too lazy to take Najee or Kamara off because we already said that. Fair. Um, I have have Tony Pollard at number eight. Wow, okay. I think he is a – fantastic running back who had to spend the last two years behind Ezekiel Elliott because Jerry yeah. Jones had some weird fascination with Ezekiel Elliott. Now that he's finally gone, I think he's going to be able to fully showcase what a machine he is without another dude stealing touches and stealing end zone uh, rushes. Um, Stupid fan in me just thinks he's like a backup and that's why he's not on my list. I think he's awesome, but, but that's the stupid fan in me. Fan brain in me. It's like, how can a backup be a top 10 running back? Yep. Number seven. This is where I think it gets easier. I think we'll have the same seven names. I don't think we will. <laughs> Number seven, I have Joe Mixon. Oh, wow. I I forgot some names, I'm going to be honest. Um, My number seven is Jonathan Taylor. Oh, wow. He's a little higher on mine. Okay. I factored I factored in his injury. Um, yeah. Lots of use. Yeah, I between the three years he spent at Wisconsin running the ball 30 times a game and then his first two years in the NFL, which were sensational, he kind of – he did hit the injury bug last year with the foot. Um, but, yeah, he's a pure runner, kind of a, a Nick Chubb Jr., if you will. And yeah. had he not had the injury-filled year, he would have been much higher for me. Yeah, would have one of the better fantasy years ever. Uh, Mixon, I think, is special, and he's a good. He's an integral part of one of the best offenses in football, um, and he's still relatively young, where he could contribute to that. Uh, number six, I have Nick Chubb. Wow, oh, we do have a different list here. I have Josh Jacobs at six. Okay, I had oh. Josh Jacobs at eight, but so my th- my thing with Josh Jacobs is. He had a sensational year last year, but it was the yeah. contract year, and it has kind of been his, I don't want to say one shining year, but it kind of was his crowning jewel of the contract year, and that makes it tough for me to say, is this what you are, or is this what you right. did so that you could go get a payday, even though you didn't even get one? Um, and we can talk about that uh, in a different I, episode of what's happening to running backs in football, because I think it's, it's messed up. But yeah, Nick um, Chubb, for me, I mean, I think he's the best pure runner besides maybe the the top two names on this list as far as just a pure put it down to the ground grimy running back he's one of the best in the league at it so number five i have austin eckler at number five i have saquon barkley okay Um, uh eckler is just steady eddie for me you don't hear about him too much he's not the biggest name he plays in a good offense but for probably three or four years now it's just been steady eddie top five running back in the league yeah, he's I mean, he's a pass catching machine. Um and that doesn't always maybe doesn't always mean he has the best hands. Maybe he just catches all those dump offs, but he's a free I think I saw it. He had like hundred and ten receptions last year. It's a running mm. that's outrageous. Um again, I, I I'm not gonna disagree with that. I have Saquon. 
I, I accredited the huge comeback year after two seasons kind of messed yeah. up by injury. He was kind of in the Jonathan Taylor boat of two years where he was probably the best running back in football or maybe one B right behind a prime Christian McCaffrey. And then he kind of hit the injury bug for a few seasons. And then he came back with a huge year should have gotten a contract giants were too busy giving it to Danny mid. And now we'll see what happens with him. Is he going to sign the tag? Is he not? We'll find out. But that that's, that's Saquon for me. I gave him and Austin Eckler, who's my number four, the nod over Josh Jacobs, just because I think they're better dual threats where Josh Jacobs is more of a runner where both of those guys are the, I can bounce out wide. I'll hit you with the, with the Texas route and we'll see what happens. Um, yep. Eckler at four for me. Yeah. I have Jonathan Taylor at four and then I have Saquon at three. So I have Derrick Henry at three. Wow. That, that one hurts. Um, I think he came back from the foot injury last year with no problem. He's an absolute freak who I think actually greatly benefited from his first two years where he didn't really start. Um, he was he was coming off the bench his first two years in, in the league, and that I think that helped extend his lifetime lifespan. But given that it so is, that means you you have somebody that is uh, in your top two that's not um, in my ten. That means uh, no, it doesn't. Um, but I, I again, I, I Derek Henry's such a physical specimen that maybe it doesn't even yeah. matter if he started or not. Maybe he'd still be this good just because he he he's probably the most physical running back I think the league's ever seen. Yeah. Um, Number uh, two. Nick Chubb. Oh, okay. All right. Best, yeah, like you said, best pure runner in football. I I, yeah. actually, I think he's I think he's a better pure runner than McCaffrey or Derrick Henry. Where I think Derrick Henry is a little bit more of I'm going to run through you because I'm bigger than you. I think Nick Chubb still has a little bit of elusiveness to him. Still has the the brute in him. I I think he's he's sensational. Number two, I have Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he went over to San Francisco and proved himself uh, on, on multiple coasts now. Uh, best pass catcher probably in football while also being just the most elusive runner. He's done it for a while now. And the difference between him and number one for me is injuries. Christian McCaffrey has been plagued by them his entire career. It's kept him from ever really until this year Granted, you need a good situation from being on a winning team and for a full 16-game season. Um, and that's the difference between my, my number one is Derrick Henry. And I think that's because for me, when you think of a running back that can change the game, there are no names that come to mind more than Derrick Henry. What he's done for the Tennessee Titans in multiple playoff games with quarterbacks that couldn't throw the ball, that running was their only option. He's done it for multiple years, forever now, it seems like. When you think of a running back that you don't want to tackle or scares you or is just a freak of nature, you don't look any farther than Derrick Henry. Ask any other fan, any other NFL player, when they want a game changer that can run the football and you can't stop them, there is no name you think of before Derrick Henry. Um, again, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to disagree with that. I had him at number three. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like there were some big margins between my top three. Christian McCaffrey's my number one. I value the dual threat ability. I value the just kind of everything that he can bring to the table. I mean, you saw him throwing touchdown passes this year. I mean, actually, I guess you have seen Derrick Henry do that at the one yard line with the little pop pass. But yep. It was it wasn't the McCaffrey type of throw where he dropped a little twenty yard bomb and uh, I think it was Kittle. Uh, but no, it's 
it, it is what it is. I think I think it's pretty fair. I think as we kind of went up the list, I I I think you went maybe a little bit younger. I, yeah. I I kind of steered clear of the older guys with Mixon and Kamara and focused on maybe a little bit of the hybridized role. I don't I don't think there's really. It's interesting because running back is kind of a condensed position where outside of the truly elite guys who separate themselves, which is probably McCaffrey and Henry, and then depending on whether it's Chubb for me or Saquon, Saquon. for you, I think I think after that you're looking between five and fifteen. I don't think you have the biggest difference. No. Uh, all right, last category. We're only going to do five offensive line, not tight end. Oh shit, tight end too. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget about tight end. Uh, all right. You start us off, number 10. Uh, David Njoku slash Dawson Knox. I couldn't really differentiate. Uh, you said Njoku. That was also mine. Yeah. Um, number nine, Dalton Schultz. Kind of old reliable. Uh, I had Schultz at eight. Uh, my number nine is Pat Fryermuth. I think he's going to only move up this list um, once he gets a better quarterback. Hopefully it's Kenny Pickett, but you never know. It might not be. Um, he's only 24. I think he'll uh, move up this list as he has gotten better each of his first two seasons. Fryermuth was my number eight. Okay. So there's a nice little eight, uh, 10, 9, 8 from us. Number seven, I think this is where I might shock you. Uh, number seven for me is Darren Waller. That's exactly what I had. Wow. Look at uh, great minds think like, so my logic was this. Um, he had two sensational years, but then he's also followed it up with two not so good years. And for a guy who right. started his career very slowly, I know there was substance abuse issues. I, he's a great story kind of beating all of that. But you can't only have two great years followed by two not great years, and me still have you near the top of these lists. That that's my thought process. I agree. That's exactly where I that was exactly my line of thinking. Uh, number six, I have Kyle Pitts. I think <laughs> I have Kyle another, Pitts as well. Another guy who I think could move up this list as he's this freak athlete that he's been called since high school or whatever. Um, and hasn't exactly been in the greatest situation to prove himself, but you can't be a top five guy until you do actually make that that massive step forward. That was that was my reasoning. Is I you need the bounce back here. I know he dropped a thousand yards as a rookie last year. I, there was some injuries, but you you, you got to have a little bit more. To I mean, part of this is not his fault. He didn't draft himself, but when he went number three or number four overall, I forget where Atlanta was picking when they took him. But that is. You got to do a little bit more. You're right. He is the freak athlete. He is that greatest prospect of all time at the position until next year when Brock Bowers comes out. Um, and yeah, I, I just think I, I, I want to see a little bit more. And again, you mentioned the situation. Arthur Smith loves running the football. So we'll see how many chances Pitts really gets to kind of put up numbers this year. Number five, I have Dallas Goddard of the Eagles. I think he's kind of come on in his late 20s and has made a nice career for himself. He's a great athlete, and he plays in a great system, which when you play for the Eagles, you have to be pretty good at, in some capacity. Yep. Uh, I have Dallas Goddard as well, kind of like Dalton Schultz, all reliable. He was good enough to get Zach Ertz tossed from the right. – not to say tossed, but he was good enough to get Zach Ertz uh, the pink slip of, hey, man, your services are no longer required. Um, anyone who can do that is a good tight end. And you mentioned just 
very reliable, very, very secure, just a just true pro that any quarterback would love to throw to. Uh, number, what do we have? Four. I have TJ Hawkinson. We'll never get why the Lions traded him. He is dynamic. He's fast. He can move. He can block. He's basically, he is the, I will say like one, two, and three for me are a step above anybody else. Um, so he's basically the best of the next step to elite of the elite. I, I, I TJ Hawkinson as well. Um, kind of to answer your point of why they traded him, uh, he wasn't this regime's pick, so maybe I understand why they don't want to go and go pay top-end tight end money for just a guy that they didn't draft. Would I have liked to keep him? Probably. Because, again, he is he, said, he is all of what you just mentioned. The athlete can block a little bit when you give him the ball, because I think that was at times an issue was he just wasn't getting enough targets. Um Right. I think that he's in a great situation in Minnesota where, especially now with the the departure of Adam Thielen and a rookie, Jordan Addison, who rookie wide receivers usually do take a little bit of time to settle in. I think he can be that clear number two who can get a little bit more red zone targets now where Thielen used to be the guy who lapped up all of those. And mm-hmm. I think that Hawkinson is a great position for this upcoming season. Uh, number three, I have George Kittle. Ooh, I had Mark Andrews. Uh, I think just like George Kittle is, isn't quite as dynamic offensively and isn't the game breaker. Granted, he plays in again that 49ers system where it's more everybody's a gadget and not necessarily a star. Where Mark Andrews was that we've also talked about Lamar's lack of weapons and he's really been Lamar's only weapon over the past two or three seasons. And maybe that's my bias and that the offensive numbers wow you a little more because of the situations they're in. Uh, I will say Kittle is probably the best blocking tight end in maybe the history of the NFL, while also being a great offensive talent and weapon and gadget, as we've been calling the 49ers pieces. That That's actually why I gave George Kittle the nod over um, over Andrews. Was I, I think the blocking ability is something that it is still part of being a tight end. Um, granted, it's a dying part of being a tight end. Tight ends are a lot more thrown into the slot. They get thrown out wide these days as they get more and more athletic and aren't just, hey, you were taller than everyone else growing up. We'll slap some meat on the bone and, you know, you'll catch a little uh, little bump rock or something. So right. I, I do I do give him that. He's a lunatic. I mean, you watch the videos where he's mic'd up and he's, like, running over guys and laughing. He, 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 he He's a character. Um, so I, I've got George Kittle at two. Number one, Travis Kelsey. What more needs to be said about probably the greatest tight end of all time? Yep. I I listened to a Greg Olson interview recently, and he basically has said, he said, Kelsey, to me, is like one more Kelsey season away from being the greatest of all time. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't uh, deny that. I'm not sure where he where he is like from like Tony Gonzalez's record uh, for like all time yards. I'd imagine he's somewhat close. He's got the most in the playoffs. Uh, granted, you can't always control that, especially in the NFL. He does play for the best quarterback in football, so that's going to only extend his career. Also, and that Andy Reid's kind of created a new tight end spot out of what Travis Kelsey is. And that he really isn't a conventional tight end. He's this modified hybrid end that Andy Reid's created. Certainly. I mean, I, I remember watching the, especially in the Super Bowl and kind of through the playoffs is maybe the wide receiver core this year for Kansas City was much weaker in the past without uh, Tyreek Hill. But 
you sit there and you're like, how is Travis Kelsey always open? He's the only guy right. who catches the football on their team, yet nobody covers him. It's He is sensational. He's incredibly smart. That connection he has with Mahomes where together they improvise, where he might see Mahomes breaking for out of the pocket. And he's like, all right, cool. Time to cut my route, turn 180 degrees the other way, and I'm going to go get open for my boy. It's, mm-hmm. it's sensational, that connection they have. So that that's kind of my list. Um, I know we had offensive lines planned. Um, I do have to kind of get going. So can we tailor okay. this for another time? Uh, I'm, yeah. We went actually longer than I thought, so I'm kind of proud of that. But to those who made it this far, um, if you agree with the rankings, if you think my lists were better than Connor's because I'm cooler than Connor, let, let me know. Um, you know? If, if you want to get us your own ranking, start a debate, let us know. Thank you for making it this far into what might be the longest episode we've had in a very long time. And for me, as always, go green. Yeah, uh, if you like my list, because I'm not as dumb as Vladdy, thanks for coming. Bye.